You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Today's guest is Alex Rodriguez. Alex is an Australia-based dietitian and eating disorder recovery peer mentor. He practices with a non-diet and weight-neutral approach. His mission is to help people restore their relationship with food in their bodies and move away from the influence of pervasive diet culture. Alex has both lived experience with an eating disorder and a natural, compassionate, empathetic, and driven nature. In this episode, Alex shares his story and talks about the power of vulnerability and honoring your emotions. If you are in recovery and looking for a fresh perspective, I'm sure you will love this episode of the show. Hey, Alex, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Meg. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm at the end of my day over here, but I know it's 7 a.m. over there for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just waking up from the sleep you're about to have. Yes. Oh, well, I'm so grateful that you woke up and that we can have this talk today. I think it's so fun being able to chat with folks from across the world. And I'm just honored to have you on the show. Well, I'm super, super grateful to be here. So thanks so much for reaching out and having me on. I'm really excited. Mm -hmm. Well, you're very welcome. And I think it's really important to have, you know, men on this show. It's been something I've had the intention of doing more of because I think hearing male voices is so important and it's not done enough in the recovery space, even though from what I've heard, one third of folks with eating disorders are male identifying. And so when you look at social media, it's such a disproportionate skew of mostly women talking about this. So when I found your social media account, I was so happy because I think there are so many men out there who are in desperate need to hear voices like yours. Absolutely. And I see the same thing on social media. And in terms of people that I see in practice, the, I guess the ratio is somewhat similar, just off the top of my head. And there's lots of different reasons, I guess, in the way of men or people who identify as a man speaking out about their experience in this space. So any opportunity that I get to speak about my experience or any other man that I see speaking about their experience is just so wonderful and valuable for everyone else experiencing these things in silence. Mm. Yes, it is so valuable. And I definitely want to dive into your story today. Before we do, do you have any guess or understanding as to why it is so disproportionate out there on social media and why men aren't talking about this so much? Well, I guess one thing, one major thing contributing is societal stigma against people who identify as male 
speaking out about their feelings and speaking out about their mental health experiences. Toxic masculinity stereotypes really tell boys from a very young age not to speak about their feelings, to toughen up, to to deal with it themselves, to keep the feelings silent and to just carry on with it. Mm-hmm. So moving forwards in life, whether they've been told by their parents, other family members, teachers at school, coaches, friends, whoever it is who are really enforcing these stereotypes, traditionally males feel like it would be wrong to speak up about their feelings or they'd feel weak is probably a way of putting it. So if we look at any mental health experience, but in this space, eating disorders, if someone is experiencing these things, they may fear being perceived as weak and may feel like they need to get on with these things by themselves. Another thing as well is in a similar boat, society traditionally sees eating disorders as a quote-unquote female condition, right? So there may be some people who identify as a male questioning or not even realizing that they actually are experiencing these things because they may not understand or be educated that these things can affect anybody irrespective of who they are. Mm. So that's another thing. They may not actually be aware that they are experiencing these things as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so true because if you just have eating disorders in the box of this is for women, this is a female problem, it's like you might be exhibiting all the signs and symptoms of an eating disorder, but you're not checking off that like woman box or the female box. And you're like, well, that must not apply to me. It's just, Mm. it seems similar to when folks in larger bodies, you know, have an eating disorder, but they don't see it that way because it's not the stereotypical, like thin woman or they're not that. And so it's harder to see themselves in that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's kind of dive into, we'll probably talk more about that as we go, but I'd love to hear about your background and how you ended up with an eating disorder. I know everybody's story is different and I'm curious to know like kind of what contributed to the development of your eating disorder. So I like to half jokingly, half seriously say that my brain or like my childhood history was like a cocktail that was like really, really led to the development of this. So I was born with a really, really anxious brain. And in line with that, what I was exposed to with my parents to feel safer, I was really obsessive and compulsive as a little kid, well before I developed the eating disorder, just rituals and behaviors and things to feel safe. I was really repetitive and obsessive about things like everything in my life, all of my interests. I always had quite low self-esteem as well, even way back when I was a little kid before I went into primary or elementary school. I was quite shy and felt like I never really fit in anywhere. And I was social settings were pretty scary for me. And then as I went on through primary school, things tended to be okay. But my parents got divorced when I was about 10 years old. So middle to later primary elementary school. And that really, I sort of describe it as like the ground from underneath my feet being pulled away. And most stability or predictability in my life that I was aware of my parents that I've grown up with in the same house sort of just like fell apart. And my parents did as much as they could, obviously, to keep things as stable as possible. And I love them to bits. But at the same time, being exposed to a divorce at that age with certain mental health vulnerabilities already really stirred the pot. So I went on to, when I was about 10 years old, used food as a coping mechanism. And my body 
did become a little bit larger in line with that. And I was bullied pretty relentlessly by other students at primary school, other sports coaches, a couple of parents I can think of as well would make comments and poke fun at my body. And it was just sort of like a volcano waiting to erupt with my mental health at this time point. So I then became very restrictive in the way I ate. I was about 11 years old and started exercising on most days of the week, multiple times a day, just desperately trying to change my body to feel safer. And my body did change very rapidly, did become quite thin. And this is probably a big flag to raise that unfortunately, in a way, the bullying stopped. Fortunately for me, right, I'll stop being bullied, but that's an unfortunate comment on society that bullying stopped when my body became thinner. Mm -hmm. Um, It says a lot about problems that are out there. So I guess that was the first sign of of an eating disorder developing. And my mom took me to a dietitian who was very concerned at the time and a doctor as well. And I was quite impressionable being 11 years old and didn't fully understand what was going on. So the dietitian got me back on track pretty quickly, um, but I was still quite body conscious and very, very driven to exercise at the time as a 12-year-old. A few years later in high school, I was about 14 at the time. Again, low self-esteem, very anxious about fitting into social groups. There's a big change in high school as well, so needing some more control and stability. I felt like to be accepted socially, to be attractive towards women, identifying as a straight man, to sort of form an identity as a young teenager that I needed to be fit. I needed to be athletic. I needed to have this certain, we'll talk about this more later, but the masculine stereotype of a fit man, right? Mm. I felt like I obsessive and anxious to meet this mold and my life became that. Initially, I was fueling myself enough on the surface. So my body was stable medically, but psychologically, I was deteriorating, becoming more obsessive and anxious. And halfway through the year, a young little 14-year-old relationship broke up. And oh. that's where my that's where my mental health deteriorated pretty rapidly and really became very restrictive of the way I ate, very, very, very driven with the way I exercised over the next four to six months. And I was admitted to hospital for a month, I believe. And I always like to share this part of the story that it shouldn't have to take to that point for someone to accept that they're deserving of help. But unfortunately for me, and this will open up discussion later, I didn't understand the severity of what was happening, both medically in terms of my safety and the risk of me experiencing something fatal, let alone psychologically what was happening. I just didn't understand for many different reasons. When your body is starving, your brain isn't working properly. When you are that in the depths of an eating disorder, psychologically, you are terrified of letting go of these behaviors and these thought patterns. So in the mix of everything, I just didn't understand what was going on and was terrified of letting go of this control. So I was admitted for a month in hospital and as terrifying as it was, it was also necessary for me to get back on track. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about myself and about my eating disorder in hospital. And after the the month, I was discharged and I made it a goal of mine to really move forwards and to not end up back in hospital. And from when I was 15 through to about 20 years old for the next five years, I physically, I stayed, stayed stable and stayed healthy, but psychologically, it was a very, very long road, long learning curve about myself, my own eating disorder, but my own journey 
uh, mental health wise, more broadly learning about myself and what contributed to my eating disorder and I guess the roots to put an analogy to it that I hadn't addressed yet that really needed to be addressed to move forwards. And I guess the last little presentation of the eating disorder was probably, again, when I was like 19, 20, maybe 21 years old, where physically I was quote unquote healthy, but I was extremely obsessed with the gym and tracking calories and building as much possible muscle as I could. So the roots of the eating disorder were still there and had grown back a little bit differently where I felt like I was only worthwhile or I would only be attractive or only be successful if I had this muscular gym look that Mm. men in society are expected to have. And I became so obsessed with that that I didn't really have anything else in my life that I looked forward to or that I enjoyed or that I identified with. And I became really lonely and realized that I need more in my life. I want to be more fulfilled in my career when I eventually finished studying. And with a psychologist and with my own self-help, I realized that there's more to life than this. And I guess that brings me to the next two to three years where I am now really passionate about the eating disorder space and knowing that that's where my passion in the healthcare world lies. Mm, Wow. Thank you for sharing that journey and just knowing that it was like pretty much a lifelong journey for you to get to this point, you know, starting at a very young age. And I guess one thing I'm always very curious about with men and having eating disorders, did you know that you had an eating disorder when you were a kid? Or was that something that the hospital had to tell you? At all stages. I So when I was 11, I didn't quite understand. When I was 14 and a little bit older and slightly more mature, I was in denial Mm. from back in probably halfway through that year, 2012 it was, when people first started expressing concern, maybe my parents and a couple of school teachers, I was in complete and utter denial. Mm -hmm. And on at the time, I didn't realize, but on reflection, that denial really comes from a place of fear and not wanting to relinquish control. Or the eating disorder, not wanting to relinquish control is probably a better way to put it. And for a good six to eight months, I was in denial and didn't understand what was happening or didn't quite want to understand what was happening because I was terrified of letting go. But in hospital, when they told me that I only had a couple of days to live and when other health professionals came in and really intervened and took that control away from the eating disorder, about halfway through the hospital stay, when my brain was slowly returning to being an adequate state of nourishment. And I learned a little bit more about why I was in there and what had led to it. I I finally accepted, okay, something needs to change. And it was probably less about the education and people telling me and more about me slowly learning everything the eating disorder had taken away from me and the ways it had made my life really, 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 really nasty. And everything before the eating disorder that I couldn't wait to get back to. Yeah, interesting. What were some of the things that your eating disorder took away from you? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> <laughs> everything, everything. Joy. So it just takes joy out of nearly everything that you do in life. Some examples being food, the first one, right? Like you you no longer know what it's like to actually enjoy food. You only know what it's like to eat things that feel safe to the eating disorder. You miss out on all forms of food experiences on your own, with family, with friends. You are starving all of 
decline in the restrictive eating disorder presentation that I was experiencing, not all eating disorders. I was personally starving all of the time and having to ignore that. Exercise was something that I absolutely loved. Moving my body socially as part of sporting teams with my dad, with my cousins, it was something that I loved for a really long time. And that became compulsive, something that wasn't a part of my life anymore. It drove my life. It was dominating my life. And it really, really got in the way of me being able to do other important things that I wanted to do. And eventually got to the point where I was so tired and fatigued in my body that it was no longer enjoyable. You're too tired to socialize. You're too afraid that socializing is going to interfere with the eating disorder behaviors. You uh, personally became tired of everyone challenging me and, and asking if I was okay all the time and trying to get me to change that it really just isolates you away from everything and you are by yourself with your eating disorder most of the time. School and learning and wanting to grow myself, that all got taken away because you just can't concentrate. Your brain is so tired and, and wrapped up in the eating disorder thoughts that your life just literally becomes thinking about food and your body and exercise all of the time. So I wasn't able to learn anything that I wanted to learn. So the list could go on, but it essentially takes all joy and fulfillment out of life. Mm, and everything you just shared is so relatable. I have my own lived experience as well with an eating disorder. And so I totally relate to that loss on almost every single level. And I think one of the motivators for me to get out of it was recognizing that loss and being able to connect with what do I want my life to be like? What do I miss? Like, how do I get back to what I miss about my life? So I completely get what you mean. Yeah. With your eating disorder, and being a man, was that complicated for you? Like, did you have shame around that? How did that make you feel? I might be assuming that this was a struggle, but I'm curious what your experience was. Yes, I've done lots of reflection on this. And there's a little bit on both sides of the coin. I was personally very, very, very lucky. And I am forever grateful about my family supporting me the whole way through and making sure that I was able to access the treatment that I needed. So I will be I'm grateful for the rest of my life for that. And I will never forget it. And the health professionals that I saw, being my dietitian that I saw throughout my journey from when I was 11 all the way through to end of high school, multiple psychologists that I saw, the hospital staff members, they I was again very, very lucky that I didn't experience any stigma from them. Yeah. However, in general, I won't name anyone or anything specific, but in general, on the other side of the coin, it took a very long time for probably in the earlier phases and then in the later phases of recovery for them to understand the psychological aspects. So, yeah. for example, in the earlier phases, lots of praise around my body looking a certain way or the amount of exercise that I did or how quote-unquote healthily that I ate, all of these sorts of things, which can mean for some people really great things, but in the context of an eating disorder, when they become obsessive and it dominates someone's life, it's really hard for society to tell the difference between the two, where the line's drawn, especially when diet culture and toxic fitness culture comes into the mix. So in earlier phases, lots of behaviors, which I now know were disordered, I was getting lots of praise for 
which really reinforced these behaviors and made me feel like I had to cling onto them even harder. Mm-hmm. And then in perhaps later phases as well, again, I won't go into anything specific, but in sport and other forms of exercise, which I was really desperate to get back to, but for medical and psychological reasons, it had to take some time for me to be able to reintroduce these things. Lots of people, I was going to say lots, but there were people here and there who would maybe be slightly shameful towards it or make fun of it, that I was being lazy or that I was avoiding exercise or that I would make comments on how much I was eating in recovery. And I was really fortunate that I built up enough armor to deflect some of those comments. But some of them do still creep through and make recovery much harder because people don't quite understand why it's important to need to eat a certain way in recovery or to need to limit physical activity during recovery or how social occasions you still do need to bring along certain foods or supplements or whatever it is. And so when they're coming out of the hospital admission, some of those initial phases, some stigma was perpetrated towards because people didn't quite understand what was going on. So long story short, I was really lucky on one side of the coin with my family and health professionals who supported me and much of my social groups, I should say as well. But before and after some stereotypes and stigma and and misunderstanding around eating disorders and recovery really made the process harder than it had to be. Mm, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like that you first of all, can acknowledge that you had really supportive family and team, right? And maybe that is why you've been so courageous to be that voice out there, right? Because I'm sure there are many folks who haven't been so lucky. So that, Mm -hmm. that does make sense on partially why you've been able to be so open about your story. Yeah, Yeah. that's why I'm forever grateful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can't put it into words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you mention exercise, it sounds like you had a pretty tumultuous relationship with exercise when you were in your disorder. And I was wondering if you, you could share a bit about the pressures men have when it comes to exercise, as far as like having that fit body and how that impacted you. Hey friends, it's that time of year again. That's right, we're opening the doors to my virtual eating disorder recovery community, The Recovery Collective, on January 19th. Curious to know what it's like inside? Here's what some of our members have said. My favorite part about The Recovery Collective is that as of joining about a year ago, I finally realized how important it is to have a community in recovery. It was definitely a turning point for me to finally talk to someone who's understanding. The people in the Recovery Collective are some of the most lovely, supportive people I've ever met. If you're thinking about joining the Recovery Collective, I have two words to say to you. Do it. Literally just give it a chance. I think you will be surprised in the most wonderful way. Make the jump and join. It's honestly one of the best things I ever did and I've made some of my best friends from around the world. It's a safe place for me. I know I can say anything and never get judged for it and I feel that we all truly care about each other. Well, there you have it. Our members have spoken. And I might be a little biased, but I think our community is pretty great too. For more information, check out the link in the show notes and make sure you sign up for the waiting list so you can be the first to join our community in the new year.
if we think about it, the traditional masculinity stereotype, and my reflection on this has evolved over time, but ever since I was, again, like early high school thinking back to it, whether it's in movies, TV shows, models for clothes and underwear, social media nowadays is a massive one, fitness and gym culture, athletes, men are expected to be tall, tanned, have big muscles, be very lean, have abs. And some other ones as well that fit onto masculinity stereotypes is to like be a business owner, to make lots of money, to be popular, to be the life of the party. All of these things are sort of fit the same mold of a masculinity stereotype. We're told from a young age to be attractive, to be worthwhile, to be successful. You need to look like this and you need to achieve this, right? Nothing comes back to being emotionally intelligent or being sensitive to other people's needs or to caring for others. All these sorts of things aren't really spoken about. It's you need to look like this and you need to have this wealth. Otherwise, forget about it. So again, from probably early high school, I felt like to be accepted socially and to as a straight man to attract women that I needed to look like this. So when you attach anxiety and low self-esteem and obsession into the mix, it's a recipe to cling on to this like a, a lifeboat, right? And as I moved through my teenage years, even though these things calmed down a little bit, they were always still there. And then when I was in early university, my early 20s, they really resurfaced really, really hardly. And I got obsessed to try and build muscle. And again, it really comes back to if you look around every single media that we're exposed to, what sort of man do you see with their clothes off? When you go to join a gym or a sporting team or any sort of supplements that you see on the shelf or any male influencer you see scrolling, like especially in the toxic fitness space, what sort of body do you see? Mm -hmm. It's beautiful in across the gender spectrum for females and for transgender individuals. There's more body diversity that is slowly being promoted. But for people who identify as a man, I feel personally on an anecdotal level, it's a lot slower. And where some brands are starting to come into the mix, but male body diversity is a lot slower to catch up. Mm. And the stereotype still really remains that you need to look like this to be attractive. Mm. And especially in my later teenage years and when I was entering the whole gym and weightlifting space, I internalized so many of these messages that I need to look like this to be worthwhile. And If I don't, then I would feel inadequate and insufficient and unattractive. And it took up way too much of my identity. It's probably the key. One problem is the stereotype of what men have to look like. But then the other problem is for the subset of, in this case, men who may have certain personality or identity or mental health vulnerabilities where they latch onto this and their concept of self and their identity and their self-esteem pie chart is really taken up with, I need to look like this to feel good. Mm-hmm. And everything else in their life that actually makes them who they are and is important to them and they have to add value to the world really gets squashed in that pie chart and they're just unaware of these things. Mm-hmm. So if they're not meeting these image stereotypes, then how are they supposed to feel like they're worthwhile? Mm-hmm. And that was something I really identify with as experiencing. And I feel like I've progressed tremendously 
beyond that. And my relationship with food and exercise is probably the healthiest it's ever been ever as a 24-year-old now. But there's still some work to go. And that pie chart for me personally, after years of internalizing these messages, what, what a man should look like and be, there are still days where I struggle with my body image and where I, I do feel like, why don't I look like this? Or why don't I meet these stereotypes? And am I adequate? And it takes a lot of work and a lot of reflection to sort of bring myself back up and to reconnect with everything that I've learned and that I know and that I help other people in practice to learn as well. I appreciate your vulnerability with that, just acknowledging you still have work to learn and that you have been majorly influenced by like what you've seen in the media. And I feel like the comment you made about male body diversity not quite being there yet is so true and it hasn't been talked about. And I just want to share an example. I was recently watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. I don't know if that they air that in Australia, but in America every day, I guess they wouldn't. But in America on Thanksgiving, we have this giant Thanksgiving Day Parade that's broadcasted. And they do all of these cool like Broadway performances and we have the Rockettes and all these like stage performers essentially. And there was one act where there are a bunch of stage performers, all gender identities, And I was like, wow, the body diversity for the women and non-binary folks on this performance is really impressive. I was really excited Mm -hmm. about it. But then I looked at the male body diversity in that same act happening at the exact same time. And the men were all still like kind of ripped. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And It's just interesting that you brought this up because this was less than a month ago where Mm -hmm. I had that little aha moment. And I was like, what about the men? Like, why don't they get this? And Mm. why does it make people uncomfortable to see maybe a man with extra weight on his body, Mm. like with his shirt off or whatever? Like, I just don't understand why we can't, if we're demanding this for women, why is it so difficult for us to demand body diversity in men? That's such an authentic example and so relevant and like you said so recent as well yeah and yeah. being a month or so ago and i guess it speaks for itself doesn't it it truly does it speaks for itself and it speaks for everything you just shared so you know i really do feel for individuals like yourself who have connected that need for success with looking at looking a certain way and that's exactly where my eating disorder came from and It took me years to recognize that I was so influenced by the media, like years. Like I was in denial of that. I was like, no, I I wasn't influenced by that. I graduated high school late 2000s. So I'm like in my early 30s now. And back in those days, there was no body diversity for women. So I feel like Mm. when I hear your story, it's kind of like a reflection of me Mm. 10 years ago or something like that, because it's just crazy to think that men are still in that place of they don't Mm. have those role models out there so Mm. so much and now i guess the time especially in the social media space because Mm -hmm. that's something which earlier on in my experience when i was like in early high school back in 2011 2012 instagram was really only just starting 
Whereas mm. now, like 10, 15 years later, it's exploded, right? And TikTok's into the mix now as well. And walk around on the street, and I really wouldn't want to see this, but probably walk around in a schoolyard at lunchtime and have a look at the amount of phones and, and scrolling, let mm. alone in the pandemic when all we had to do was be at home on technology compared to the past where like it was really movies and TV shows and, and billboards and ads were internalizing these things. It's now like 24-7 that we have these things in our hands and we yeah. have messages to internalize by scrolling social media all the time. So it's paramount now for generations coming through where social media and, and technology is just going to like become even more rampant and, and central in people's lives for body diversity across the gender spectrum to really be present on social media to avoid these body image internalizations happening at an increasingly younger age as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful. First of all, I did not have to deal with Instagram when I had my eating disorder. I'm like, thank goodness for that. But I was, I remember looking even on the internet and stuff, like I found those images that I would strive mm. to look like, right? And now I do think Instagram is a blessing and a curse because yep. we've already identified the harm that it causes, but I am grateful that there are also ways you can tailor your experience on Instagram to be exposed to different body types and sizes and genders and yeah. Even on the days I have like bad body image, which doesn't happen so often, you know, but I think even when you are a recovered person, you might have a day where you're, you're not feeling amazing about yourself. Instead of thinking about those maybe runway models or Victoria's Secret models I used to strive to look like, I am reminded, like my brain thinks of the influencers on Instagram who are all different sizes, who... I scroll through every day because I have this recovery Instagram just based on my profession. So it's kind of interesting how my brain offers different body, I don't know, different images of bodies because I've chosen to surround myself with different accounts. Spot on. I absolutely love that reflection, especially how you said it's a a blessing and a curse on social media Mm -hmm. because there are so many problems at the moment in the eating disorder space on social media but at the same time, like you said, there are so many positive influences on there mm-hmm. for so many different things. And something I speak about all the time with pretty much everyone that comes to see me is that what's one thing we can control? What you see in your feed. Right. And everything that you just spoke about so wonderfully is like we have, we are able to curate our feed to be supportive towards our mental health and supportive for our recovery. And being exposed to these positive recovery-oriented messages and internalizing these instead. I really like how you said as well that even when you're not on your phone and you're having a poorer body image day, being able to take your mind towards the recovery positive spaces and accounts that you've seen and in this space, body types that you've seen. So I really love that reflection and really that is a blessing as well as long as we curate our feeds in a way that is supportive towards what we need. Hmm. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. So of course, I'm grateful that your account's out there just because that gender representation is just so important as well. And I think with, you know, men, there is that difficulty 
connecting to accounts like yours or finding accounts like yours. So I guess my next question for you is, how did you have the courage to start talking about this openly to people as a man because of all of the toxic masculinity you're fighting against, all of the secrecy that men typically you know, keep to themselves related to their own eating disorders? Like, What gave you the courage to start speaking about this? I've reflected on this lots and I don't have a a clear answer for it. But I one of the first things that I think about is, again, how lucky and grateful I was for my family supporting me. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has that. And it brings sadness to my heart to whenever I speak to somebody who hasn't had that and where lack of support in their family and social groups gets in the way of their recovery. But I was so lucky to have had that. And I feel like that shows me that really showed me that it's okay to ask for help but i just want to make a note here that if anybody is listening who don't have as supportive family or social networks that there are professionals and there are organizations and there are websites and social media accounts where you can access that support so i never would be able to feel like they're alone in addition to this i really got taught from a very young age particularly by my mom that expressing emotions is a positive thing. And it really helped me to reflect on what happened when I bottled up emotions and kept things on the inside, how that made me feel compared to when I did express emotions, whether it was to my mom, whether it was to other people in my life. And from a very young age, it taught me that speaking about feelings, speaking about what was going through my mind helped more than keeping them on the inside and dealing with myself. So learning that from a very young age from my mom in general about all feelings and all emotions and all experiences really helped to apply to this big, difficult experience of mine. And I'll be forever grateful for that as well. And she was a really key influence on me having the strength of emotional intelligence for other people, but also for my own self. So I'm forever grateful for her for teaching me that and for me being exposed to her being like that as well. So and then- how can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, How yeah. Did your mom teach you that? Like, it sounds like you had proof in your life that expressing your emotions resulted in better outcomes, right? Mm. So, is there something that comes to mind when you say that that you were reminded of when you when it came down to talking about your recovery? I think from a really, really again, the earliest experience I can remember is, is primary school. Again, with my social anxiety and low self-esteem and things and where I was scared to go to school when I was like six, seven years old and she would always sit down and ask what was going on and why are you scared to go to school and why is this and help me work through these emotions and feelings. And then I guess I just learned that whenever I was anxious about something, whenever I was frustrated about something, whenever I needed help with something that if I was going to try and deal with it by myself, it would make me feel worse. And I would feel alone and isolated. But if I had someone in my life, whether it was my mom or whoever, who can help me through managing these feelings, managing these emotions, then my feelings in my life would be better, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess applying it to my eating disorder when I overcame the denial phase and recognized that I did need help, then that was, a, I guess, a living proof example that accepting the help and having people teach me about these things to help me manage these things, my life literally became better and more fulfilling, safer, more enjoyable in like all aspects of my life. 
So I was able to apply like this general premise to something which was much greater. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess later on as well, probably when I was like 21 or so, where I was starting to be a dietitian, I had already completed my certification to be a personal trainer here. And all I was really doing with my life is like learning about how food and exercise can change the shape of someone's body, right? Maybe build some strength in the gym, build some muscle and things. But it was really coming from a place of my own obsession and insecurity. It felt safe and I never felt fulfilled. And I spoke, again, I spoke to a few people, whether it was university, teachers, other health professionals online. I spoke to these people about my feelings and about my reflections. And I didn't want to go down a path in my career that I was unfulfilled with and that wasn't in line with my values. And they and my own reflections really helped me see that my passion was in the eating disorder space and in, I guess, more broadly, the mental health space. Mm-hmm. And I, I question why am I going to keep following this path towards something which has really contributed to many problems in my life when I could pursue this path and try and use my own lived experience to to help other people. Just mm-hmm. two things that I really connect with and value is emotional intelligence and, and connecting with other people, as well as helping other people and being there for other people and making sure that as many people in my life, regardless of who they are and their presentation, have access to help and support. So I thought, well, these two values are here. I've recovered from an eating disorder. I'm studying to be a dietitian. Why don't I combine all of these things together? And that's where my passion just ignited. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I said, why not? I tried to think about what was the worst that would happen. People would make fun of me, whatever. It's because they don't understand or they may not have had to experience this. People may not quite understand what I'm promoting, what I'm speaking about. Okay, well, that's an opportunity for me to educate and help them understand. And what really stood out to me was just being able to help other people and be able to connect with other people. And that was more powerful than me being afraid of people judging or people making fun of me or people not understanding. So I really just grabbed this and, and, and ran with it. Mm, that's so insightful of you to recognize that, you know, you could go down the fitness path, which you found safety in, or lean into the connection you have with feeling emotions and the emotional intelligence and your values and your lived experience and like turning that into something that could ignite a sustainable passion for life. Right. So I think that's really amazing how you were able to figure that out at such a young age and also be able to boldly step into that already, just because, you know, you even walked us through everything. There are things that could potentially get you down, like people making fun of you or judging you or whatever, but you have those solutions already in your head, like opportunities to educate are there. Right. So that's really amazing. So I appreciate that. And it does make me curious when you put yourself and make yourself so vulnerable online. Is your DM section all these men like being like, oh my God, I wish I had someone to talk to like you? Like, I I just imagine like you probably get a lot of messages from men who are scared to reach out and want to talk about their eating disorders. Is that true? Like, I just feel like they would want to like connect because of that. I would say 
Yes and no. I definitely have had, I haven't encountered or anything, but I have had other men who are experiencing eating disorders, other men who have identifiers have been recovered from their eating disorder and wanting to learn how to share their own experiences as well. I've had a handful of people who have come and wanted to work with me on their own relationship with food. And I'm super, super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. However, at the same time, like we were speaking about at the start, I wouldn't say that they're flooding in by any means. Mm-hmm. And probably for many different reasons, but if we look at the one key reason, it's that there is so much advocacy and awareness and understanding and diversity acceptance that still has to come for more men to be able to understand what they're experiencing and for more men to be able to therefore speak out and feel comfortable speaking out about what they are experiencing as well. So I would say yes and no. I'm so grateful for the ones that have reached out to me and connected with me. But in the next 10, 15, 20 years, I really hope that that number increases. And I'll be excited to see other men who I have seen start to share their own experiences online as well. Yeah. You know, that's, I guess I'm not surprised. Although in my head, I thought it would just be like this secret, safe place people men could go to talk. I would say a very low number of men with eating disorders reach out to me on Instagram. And it feels like there's always this wall where I might offer, okay, well, would you like to work coaching one-on-one or what do you need these resources? And usually it stops beyond that person getting themselves the help they need, right? Mm -hmm. For some reason, it's like not too many people reaching out and then taking it beyond an Instagram message, actual treatment or support or help has hardly accumulated, like turned mm. into anything, right? Mm. It's like really sad to me to see. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's difficult to, to share the experience in the first place. And then you add into the mix the denial and the shame and these difficult emotions that come with experiencing eating disorders. But then on top of that, the layer is the societal stigma and stereotypes and feeling like health professionals won't recognize it or accept these things or minimizing one's symptoms and feeling like these disordered behaviors and exercise are normal because they feel compelled to try and achieve these stereotypes. I believe there are more men out there experiencing eating disorders and disordered eating. And I believe those the stats that we see, like the number around a third of people who are diagnosed, I believe that is higher and that will continue to increase over time. But that's going to come with generations of breaking down stigma and stereotypes. Yeah. The first one being men speaking about their experiences and their feelings and their mental health, but also like we're speaking about at the start, increasing male body diversity as well. I guess men realizing that they do not have to look a certain way to be worthwhile. Therefore, if they feel compelled to try and look a certain way, then they realize that, okay, this isn't normal or fair for me and I deserve to speak about this and get help with this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as we wrap up this interview, I just wanted to ask you one last question. And that is, what advice do you have for men who might be secretly suffering with an eating disorder at the moment? Well, it's that as hard as it is to believe and accept sometimes, it is okay to be sharing your feelings. Mm. It's not weak. It's actually a sign of strength to be able to come out and defy these stereotypes and defy the stigma that is 
weighing men down. It's a strength to push that aside and to speak about your feelings and what you are experiencing and getting help with it as well. It will make your life better and you will learn so much about yourself and about what you want for your life. And life is better without disordered eating and an eating disorder is how I can summarize that as quickly as possible. So it is okay to share your thoughts, your feelings, and your emotions. And at the same time, even though it is very hard to believe sometimes based on what society tells us, there is so much more to identifying self-worth and what we have to offer the world and what makes us unique beyond having muscles, being ripped, and achieving this masculinity stereotype. Mm. redefining masculinity is probably a way to summarize that really well said i think it's the most helpful piece of advice for men to hear at the moment is it's okay to express your emotions and feel your feelings so i'm really happy that that's what you came out with right away and i hope that that can be like that can really soak in with the listeners right now and that goes for all genders too like absolutely Your emotions hold the key to personal growth, personal development, healing, and progress, all of those things. And I just have to echo everything that you said, Alex, your life just gets better when you can start expressing your emotions. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. (laughs) All right, Alex. Well, again, big thanks for joining me today. It was a lovely interview. I truly appreciate it. And how can people find you? And is there anything you'd like to promote before I let you go today? Well, thank you for that. My Instagram is A-Rod, so A-R-O-D, or lowercase, underscore dietitian. Awesome. Amazing. Do you offer any groups or anything or one, I assume one-on-one work? Yeah, so I'm based in Australia. So I work in a private practice, which offers both in-person sessions and telehealth, which is like video consults. I offer both of those services, but completely respective. That's a little bit hard for listeners in the US with time zones and different different healthcare systems and things, but I appreciate that though. So just so you know, Australia has a big listener presence over on my podcast. We have, I would say, huge representation of Australian listeners. So you That's, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I've had some really good Australian guests, New Zealand guests. And so it's, I would say outside of the United States, I think Australia's second most listened country. So you guys have, you, you, that do is so cool. Good connections out there. I know yeah. maybe it's a sign yeah. I need to like actually go to Australia one day because the listeners are down there. People really do need recovery support in Australia for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That is absolutely awesome that I guess that listener base is there. Like, oh, that's what I love about technology, like all over the other side of the world, that listener presence is there. That's so cool, Meg. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's really fun. I nerd out with the stats and like the geography of who's listening where. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. It's fun for me. So, anyway, that was a total sidetrack. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again, Alex. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thanks so much again, Meg. You too.